morning, everybody. Bear with me for one second. Okay, I think I'm okay. Check, check, check. Check in one, two, three. All right. Well, good morning. It is a, or at least it was, a little bit of a rainy morning. It is sort of a mixture right now of rain and not rain. <clears throat> I mean, it's not raining right now, but it's been raining in the morning, you can tell. Some of our outside noise down here. So yeah, it's November, and it's been a busy couple weeks. I didn't record a podcast last night because uh, last sorry last night, but last week because last week on Wednesday was a national holiday, and so I didn't have my job to drive out there. Um, but I think I did finally get up a podcast a couple days ago from the weeks before. I had to put it together because my uh, usually trusty recorder decided to stop recording after only, I don't know, maybe 18 minutes, so I had to record another half. But that means I have to do editing to actually put the tracks together, um, and I'm not the best editor. But I think I got it up anyway, got it done, got it done get her done so I got her done yeah so on my way to work uh, what's going on well let's see since I talked to you guys last uh, my uh, English school we had a big uh, Halloween uh, kind of uh, bash that we had to put together and that's every year that's a lot of work we kind of uh, go to a lot of trouble to uh, put on costumes and uh, come up with a theme and make um, some activities and, and uh, my wife has a lot more stuff because she's uh, the liaison with the uh, community uh, and so she gets all of the uh, all of the uh, community people um, to volunteer to help us in this so it's kind of a weird thing so <clears throat> Halloween's not a traditional holiday here in Japan big surprise <laughs> it's not a thing right so in order for us to we, we kind of use Halloween as a part of our English school we have done that for pretty much since we started we've been throwing Halloween parties for our English kids our English school kids and it's you know it's a cultural thing that they experience from America in a way and they get to dress up and it I mean it kind of transfers to almost any culture if you think about it I mean who doesn't like Halloween who doesn't like you know what kids don't like dressing up in, the, in costumes and things so but uh, as with anything those holidays that are not from your country, when you try to adapt, you invariably change some things about it. Um, and so, you know, there, there's, there, there are a lot of compromises you have to do in order to 
uh, celebrate your holiday in another country. There are just a lot of things you have to think about. You know, one of the things, for example, with Christmas is that very often uh, Christmas is not a holiday here. Uh, people are still working, so you may have to work on Christmas Eve and Christmas here in Japan because they're not nationally celebrated uh, days off, right? And of course they're not. I mean, why would they be? It wouldn't make sense if they were. Um, now, they kind of have a concept of Christmas, uh, and that concept is uh, has some similarities with our the way that, at least in America, that most of us celebrate Christmas. Um, of course, it has no religious connotations here. doesn't mean that people are not aware of the religious side of Christmas. Uh, but, um, you know, that side, of course, would be um, not celebrated here. Uh, and then you also have uh, the fact that somehow Christmas in Japan became a date day, right? So Christmas Eve is a day for you to uh, date the love of your life kind of thing, right? Uh, to take somebody out. Um, and so it's a, it's a romantic holiday, right? Um, which is very different from the family holiday. that Christmas is in the States. Uh, anyway, so back to Halloween. So what we do, what we've done the last, because of COVID, we, we kind of had had to have things, uh, we needed to string things out to be able to social distance a little more effectively. So we used to have kind of a, a big Halloween party in a single location and everybody would just gather and, you know, do it for a couple hours. But now we we decided to bring trick or treating into the into the mix, and so we used the the town where our school is, and we had the kids trick or treat up and down the main strip, uh, and it's a fairly quiet town, so traffic's not really a problem, um, plenty of stoplights, but we kind of have to get the uh, the entire community. It's mostly the businesses involved, and so. What my wife has to do, Tomoko, she has to kind of um, uh, connect with all of these businesses before every year and get them on board and figure out what they're going to offer for trick-or-treats, and uh, for treats, uh, trick-or-treat treats. <laughs> it's a little bit redundant. Um, and... And then, because they're all businesses, they're, they're, it's, it's not a volunteer thing, purely. I mean, they volunteer to, to, you know, for their time, but they're the products that they hand out. Anyway, there's a lot of give and take that needs to be negotiated and with each business. And what it ends up being, which is great for most businesses, because a lot of the businesses are restaurants or uh, something, something involved in the food, uh, food industry, uh, they end up, you know, actually making something original, um, and handmade and really good. Uh, we have one place that's a, a meat shop and they make their own fried chicken. And so the kids get pieces of fried chicken for their, for their stop at the meat shop and, and other places make really, you know, 
fancy pastries and things like this. So it becomes a really big deal, but the, the kids have to pay uh, to, to participate, right? And so that money then goes to the businesses to compensate them for their cost of making the things. And then in a, in a perfect world, you know, the, what we're getting out of it as, as an English school, we get advertising, right? Really everybody gets advertising and that's, that should be enough. But yeah, we end up doing a lot of work for that. And well, you know, anyway, um, so we had that last week and that's, that's really the biggest day of our year, uh, for our English school and has been for many years is the, the Halloween event that we do. It takes weeks and months of planning and, and lots of hours of preparation. And this year we were cowboys. Uh, so we all had to, you know, find boots and hats and guns and all that kind of stuff. So. We actually had a couple uh, live ponies um, come and greet the kids as well. Which for a lot of kids was the first time they'd ever seen a live pony, which is really neat to see them experience that. Um, yeah, so that happened. Um, got that done, and then just four days later, let's see, that was on a Saturday, so... Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. On Wednesday, I had a concert that I participated in. Now, it wasn't just me. Um, it was a collection of about 16 different groups. And I did a couple songs solo with piano. Uh, and um, everybody else did the same. It's, it's sort of a, an opportunity where people that... Um, it's a combination of both professionals and amateur. Right? So you can... You can buy in and you get the the uh, chance to to stand on the big stage and perform in front of a, an audience and it's a great experience and I'm usually used asked to participate in that um, I'm on the professional side um, I'm considered professional in this town anyway I wouldn't necessarily be in every town but anyway be that as it may so did that, and the concert went really well. And uh, <clears throat> so I did, I did a couple songs um, that were arrangements of uh, black spirituals. Um, and the first number I did was a actual, uh, an actual uh, medley of three different spirituals. Uh, one is uh, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Uh, the other one is sometimes I feel like a motherless child and then the last one was steal away to Jesus is this going to be closed again Let's find out in a second <laughs> they may have finally finished <laughs> they did look at that look at that yeah, so got to do those three uh, songs in one medley. Um, and then did another song, uh, which is um, uh, Balm and Gilead. 
there's a balm in Gilead, so did that song as well. And I, I had to wait till almost the last part. I waited for almost two hours before I even got on stage. Now I only sang probably for seven or eight minutes or even less. Uh, but for some reason, and I can't put my finger on why, it people have said it's one of the best things I've ever done. And some people went as far as to say it was the best I've ever done. Um, and I don't say that to boast. I say that because sometimes things just come together and good things happen despite despite you, right? Um, despite um, whether you thought it was good, sometimes things are good and it's only viewed as good from the outside. That you from the inside, um, looking out at your own performance, you don't always have the best perspective. You don't have the best seat in the house. The best seat in the house is out in the hall, right? Where all of the acoustics come together. And where the balance, uh, right, is um, uh, between the piano and the voice, for example, and, and then the acoustics. And any, anyway, everything seemed to come together great for that performance for whatever reason. Uh, and I can't really put my finger on what it was until I hear the recording, which I haven't yet heard the recording yet. Uh, but now, uh, because it went so well, now I'm kind of being pressured into doing a, a full recital next year. I haven't done one in several years. So I'm going to put together some, yeah, some material. Uh, I'm looking at getting back into the Winterreise, which is a winter winter journey by Schubert. There's 24 pieces. Uh, I may do the first five pieces, um, which are sort of a mini set inside of a set, I guess. So I had started those last year. I don't know if I mentioned that in the podcast, but I'd started getting those ready last year, uh, and then kind of put it aside for about a year. Um, but I'd worked on those first five songs in in the hopes that someday I would do the entire uh, Winter Winter's Journey by Schubert uh, in a recital. Anyway, I think I'll do a recital, but I'm going to do some of the, uh, the Winter's Journey uh, and then mix in a variety of other numbers and songs. That's kind of fun. I, I enjoy the planning stages of this. Now the the work stage of it, getting the voice ready and all of the memorization, I don't always enjoy as much, especially, you know, foreign languages and for whatever reason, German. German is hard for me to memorize. I don't always memorize it great. Um, but yeah, so I'll do those five songs in German and then mix in. Apparently I need to, not apparently, of course. I need to do some songs in Japanese as well, so I'll probably just focus on those three, uh, three languages, uh, German, Japanese, and English. Um, but I have noticed that the songs I did last week, one of the reasons maybe that they did so well is because they are in English, and, you know, which is, which is the language I am able to use the best. Uh, and I can express myself best in English. Obviously, we can all express ourselves ourselves best in our 
um, original language. Um, so there, you know, there may be something to that. Uh, I chose those songs uh, because of the, you know, that the what the world's going through right now with COVID, and we we really need some healing and some hope. And, and there's nothing wrong with admitting how troubled we are, uh, but hopefully we move from that on uh, into healing and hope, uh, or hope and then healing. Either way. Um, so, yeah, that's that's something that happened with me this week. Um, uh, kind of getting excited about music, and then, and then, last week, uh, or actually early this week, Sunday, I started having tooth problems again. Different tooth in a different place, and even right now, it's kind of bothering me. I'm having some tooth pain. I had to go to the doc, the dentist yesterday to to get it looked at I've got a really sensitive tooth probably lost some enamel or something I'm not sure what it is but anyway it's super sensitive and so I had to go to the dentist yesterday get that worked on and so it's kind of aching it's been aching ever since so this is pretty much since Sunday this is Wednesday I've had four days of constant constant not constant but ebbing pain it comes and goes comes and goes right now it kind of went but a few minutes ago it was there um, but I did a podcast on pain and I'm gonna try to stay away from that uh, one thing that has been brought up and continually is something that I kind of stick my foot in on Facebook is is this usage of um, the phrase, the word of God, right? The word of God. And I really, really need to buckle down and look at the original languages on this. Uh, and I haven't done that. But I do know that in the English version, once in a while, word is capitalized. Uh, the beginning of John, for example. And in other times, it's not. So my, my question is, is the capitalization indicative of a translation change, right? So is, is the lowercase word one word in the Greek, but the uppercase word, word, that's <laughs> so difficult, is another translation of word. So of course the, the uppercase translation is logos, right? In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, right? Um, the Logos was God. In the beginning was the Logos. And this word Logos, we've translated as word in English, but uh, it's not so simple, right? Um, it has something more, much deeper and more profound than just word, right? Um, something that I've heard other scholars say that uh, seems to me more toward the the fundamental, right? The word fundamental in the beginning was the fundamental, the the the, the source, right? The source, the fundamental, the. Um, but somehow we've translated it as word, and which just 
begged us, right? Almost enticed us to start calling the Bible the Word of God because the Bible does contain words of God, right? I get that. But what happened is, theologically, down through the years, in the beginning was the Word, the the Word of God uh, came to be equal to the incarnate Word of God, who is Jesus, right? The Word incarnate. And so what this did was kind of deified, not kind of, I, I believe it absolutely has, deified the written Word and lifted the written Word to a level that I think, in most cases, surpasses Christ himself, right, in the, in the mind of many people, to the point where they can't separate the Word of God from Christ. Wait, I said that wrong. See, I'm even confused. To the point where they can't separate the Bible from Christ himself. That somehow they, they, they believe that they are so inseparable as to be one right, as to be the same thing, and if not the same thing, equal, equal in, in importance. And what that does is it adds a fourth member to the Trinity, right, the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, and the Bible. And the Bible, in most cases, uh, and, and they say this, right, the Bible has all authority. They give the Bible authority. Um, even though Jesus said all authority had been given to him in heaven and on earth. Um, somehow, we believe that Jesus passed on his authority to the Bible. It's not the worst thing that can happen. I mean, there's so much good stuff in the Bible, it, it would be a shame not to revere it on some level. But it's just taken to the extreme so much that I think we're, we're missing a lot of what the the Bible is actually trying to say, right? Um, the word, for example, which Paul passed on, the word of the gospel, is Jesus, right? The gospel is Jesus. Jesus in the flesh is the gospel himself. The gospel, the message, is a person. Right? The gospel message is a person. It's not, it's not just a string of, of uh, you know, um, nouns and verbs, right? Punctuation and, and uh, syntax and, you know, what have you. Uh, the gospel message actually is a person. And that person is Jesus. And yes, a lot of what we, where we get who Jesus was is from the Bible, but that should be a way to point us to Jesus, not to take the place of Jesus himself, right? Um, so I, I've been in just a, a short, because I really don't see the point of arguing with somebody about this point, because we come from such a foundationally different belief, right? And that foundation... Uh, even if you uncover part of it, you realize that there's more below that, right? Uh, and and to argue with somebody really means you have to change their foundation. You have to put their thinking on the same foundation yours is. And that's just a rabbit hole that I'm not sure I'm 
willing to go into. But I did meet a guy that basically believes that every time the word word is used in the New Testament, right, uh, it's talking about the Bible itself. And he's a, he's a biblicist, right? Or bib, bib, bibliolatry, I, I, I like to say it. Bibliolatry or something like this. Uh, he's a Bible worshiper. Um, and I, I try to be a Christ worshiper, a Messiah worshiper. Uh, the Bible is a great tool and the best book ever assembled, ever compiled. Um, but, nonetheless, Christ is superior to it. Right? And I don't think it's even close. <laughs> Not even close. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's still so much of that going around. And once I encounter a person like, like this, it's, it's just like, I don't know, beating my head against a rock. You know, there's just no place to go with it, it seems like. Um, I just feel trapped more or less with, you know, all I can do is argue without any hope uh, of, of any kind of resolution. Uh, and of course, this guy's a guy that went to seminary and, you know, he's, he learned a certain way and believes a certain way. And, and you know, whatever. I'm sure he's a good guy. Um, I mean, I was, I was that guy at one point. Not with the seminary. I'd go to a Christian college couple of Christian colleges, but but that's how I believed, you know, it's not the end of the world, Ugh, pardon me, so anyway, yeah, um, just to reiterate, because I don't think, I don't think you can do it enough, Jesus is superior to what's written about Jesus. Christ is superior to what has been passed on as the gospel message. Uh, Christ is superior to all of the religions and interpretations of the Bible, religions that are based on the Bible. Christ, Christ is living and breathing and the Bible is not the Bible is meant to point us to Christ but once it has pointed you to Christ it has done that job now it can continue to enrich your life and I think the, the Bible is sort of like uh, a very fruitful mine you know the more you dig the more you find uh, and it, it, the stuff only gets better and better but once you've, once you've met Christ and seen him for who he really is, once you've encountered him, once you've experienced him, uh, nothing else will ever do again. You know, there's, no, there's nothing better than that. No one better than him. Um, and so, yeah, I... 
I struggle with people um, who don't understand this all the time uh, and I just don't know what to do about it I I, I want them to know Christ as, as, as I know them and even better than I know him um, and I believe that Bible idolatry is real and I think saying that the Bible has authority is blasphemous I believe that that's blasphemy because it's attributing something uh, it's attributing authority to someone or something other than God himself right um, and, and I think that's yeah I think that's blasphemy and, and idolatry all at the same time and I can't get over that right there's no there's no other way for me to think about that I've already been down that road um, and and I've seen and I continue to witness people misusing scripture uh, way too often for me to um, to go there again I just don't think it can happen but you know um, stupidity can strike twice I suppose it's possible um, yeah uh, in the beginning was the word the fundamental the source the source of life right the tree of life I have come that you might have life, right? The Bible being an ancient book, uh, an actual, an actual, an ancient compilation of ancient books, right? It's really a, it's really a library, right? Small library, sixty-six books, but whatever. Uh. It's not living, right? It doesn't. It doesn't change. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't grow. It, it's set in in the time that it was written, uh, and Christ is living. Christ Himself is living and breathing, and, and uh, He's not going to change. He's not going to change who He is fundamentally, right? Um, But we've witnessed immense changes in the world. And the world is created by Christ. He created us to be creative people. That, that's one of the things I've, I, I realized. I was giving a lecture um, in my college class this week. Uh, in a discussion class. And one of the things that I talked about was um, how human beings, our nature seems to be to make things bigger, better, faster, longer, right? To make things more, to improve things. That 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 seems to be the nature of humans. So if a human being is born in a forest, well, he creates an axe and and makes a house. 
right? Or, uh, you know, if, if he's in a herd of animals, well, he's going to, um, you know, make two of them do some work and, and eat one of them. And, you know, he, he's going to use the resources that are around him to improve his life and the life for his family and, and others around him, right? That just seems to be human nature. We, we're not satisfied with the way things are. We want to make things better. We, we have the ability to envision things that can be better. For example, we wake up and our hair's a mess. Well, we have a vision that, that says, hey, that hair can be better. So I'm going to make it better. I can, I can envision, right? I can imagine how that my hair can be better than it looks when I wake up in the morning. And so I devise a way to get it to look like that vision, right? To, to manipulate my hair until it fits the imagine, what, what my hair looks like in my imagination, right? Uh, we, we see a better future and then we work to make that future a reality. Uh, and that seems to be the human way of doing things, right? We, we are all prophetic in a way. We, we anticipate uh, the direction things are going and we adapt to try to make things better in the future. That's human nature. God has made us that way. And, you know, the, the, the earliest accounts of God that we have seem to be of the, the creation. And now he came and he saw darkness and void right but he created light and he created earth and water and sky and plants and planets uh, and stars right uh, and and bugs and fish animals and humans right he created all these things but the human being he seems to have have he seems to have created in his image more so than the others and that we come into a place of darkness uh, and, and void and, and we start to arrange things now. We don't create things out of thin air like uh, God seemed to do. Uh, but we do use the resources, resources that are available to us to create. We are creative, right? It seems to be our nature. God has made us that way. Uh, and so th there are all kinds of ways that this plays out. Um, all kinds of um, ways that, that this works and sometimes it, it doesn't work out great. Sometimes it's not a, a good outcome, our creativeness. Sometimes we create more problems than we fix. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that uh, I brought up in the class was that, you know, of course, mankind created the, uh, the combustion engine, right? Uh, to where we can we can use an engine to do work to move us faster or to lift things uh, than we can do just using our muscles, right? So we created machines uh, that burn gasoline, burn fuel, and do all kinds of work for us, whether it's factories or transportation or what have you. Uh, that was our creativity at work. The problem is uh, we did not foresee... Uh, air pollution, right? We did not foresee that these cars and the emissions that they create while combusting 
might be bad for us and bad for the environment. And so now we're having to be as creative as we can to find solutions for that as well. Um, and so we can get into trouble through unbridled creativity, right? Creativity that doesn't uh, look f uh, far enough ahead, that doesn't anticipate every outcome. Um, that's certainly the case, right, with almost everything. But, you know, then it gives us another uh, set of challenges to try to overcome, right? A set of obstacles that we can uh, then work together and it keeps us occupied and and uh, gets our creative juices flowing. Um, but almost everything we encounter through our senses, we try to improve. You know, we heard a bird singing, well, we're gonna make a symphony, right? Uh, we, we see an ant's nest, well, we're gonna make New York City, you know? Uh, you know, we see a butterfly flying, well, we create 747 jets, right? We, we encounter all kinds of things through our senses, right? And then we, we take them to the nth degree, right? We take things as far as they can go. And then we take them farther. <laughs> I mean, I guess you take that butterfly analogy and, you know, talk about, you know, rockets to space, flying to the moon. You know, we, we took flight uh, just as far as we possibly could so far and are looking to take it even farther eventually. Um, and that's just our nature, right? We're going to do more, go farther, go higher, go deeper, go longer, whatever it is. I am completely crooked. That's better. All right, well, man, where was I going with this creative talk? In the beginning was the word. He was the fundamental. He was the source, the creativity. And we have that as well, right? And God being creative, uh, I think he has to be more than a book, right? He didn't solve everything 2,000 years ago uh, and, then, and then stop, right? The word, the fundamental word has continued and continues uh, into today. And I have no idea how to wrap this up. Uh, this was a little scatterbrained today. Um, but hey, go out and be creative today. Whether you're creatively solving problems or creatively, uh, uh, you know, making things that people didn't know they want. You know, be creative. Use your, uh, your, your uh, image of God well today. Be a blessing. Thanks. Bye.